Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Let's shift gears a bit and get into our Christmas sermon series. Uh, We're taking that famous passage from the verse uh, from Isaiah that says for to us a child is born for to us a son is given and we're looking at one of the four titles in uh, that verse each week so the first one is wonderful counselor Jeff looked at that one last week he told us the bad news is we all need counseling but the good news is Jesus is a qualified and free counselor and this week we'll look at the second title from that verse which is mighty God Our daughter, Imogene, is getting old enough to start enjoying some of the Christmas movies this year. And uh, last weekend, we watched A Charlie Brown Christmas with her for the first time. Um, If you haven't seen it in a while, the movie begins with uh, Charlie frustrated with the commercialization of the Christmas season. And that was in 1965. So I'm sure uh, if Charlie were around today, he'd be even more frustrated. The issue for Charlie is he he wants to celebrate Christmas the old way, the way that he's always done it. And uh, the picture behind me is uh, one of the most famous parts of the show is when Charlie goes to pick out a tree for the play and they want him to get um, a pink metal tree. But Charlie comes back with the last real tree on the lot that's barely a foot tall and can't even hold an ornament. And we still have these same debates about Christmas in our world. We still have the the real tree versus fake tree debate. The should you start listening to Christmas music in October, after Halloween, after Thanksgiving, or do you never listen to Christmas music? Uh, Do you put bright colored LED lights on your house or do you prefer traditional warm colored lights? Uh, I don't want to offend my mom, but do you watch Hallmark movies every single night like she does? Or would you never put a Hallmark movie on in your house? And I heard a never. Sorry, mom. Those things are funny. We laugh about those things. But uh, the reason that we feel so strongly about how we celebrate Christmas is because it goes a lot deeper than whether we just want a fake tree or a real tree, isn't it? The reason we feel so strongly about how we celebrate Christmas is because there's something about Christmas that makes us feel nostalgic and happy. One of the first lines in Charlie Brown Christmas is Charlie saying, I think there must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. And there's this underlying assumption, even in our world today, that Christmas is supposed to make us feel full of peace and love and hope and joy and ultimately happiness. So we put up Christmas lights, we turn on the songs, we give and receive gifts, we bake cookies and candy, we go to parties, and we do all these things in order to produce these feelings of happiness. And guess what? Christmas is so popular because it works, doesn't it? For many of us, Christmas does make us happy. I know the lights, the songs, the movies, I love all those things. It makes me happy, and I promise that this sermon today is not going to be about ending the commercialization of Christmas or ending all those things. I love those things. I hope we enjoy all of those things at Christmas. But here's the problem. The happiness that lights and songs bring us 
doesn't last. Even if you have the best Christmas you've ever had, January comes along every year, the lights go back in the attic, the songs, you stop playing the songs, and everyone has to go back to work. Uh, a travel company in England coined the term Blue Monday to refer to the third Monday in January, which they claim is the most depressing day of the year. And they, they built this formula that took into account the weather, uh, credit card debt, how long it takes to break on average a New Year's resolution. And they, they concluded that the third Monday in January was the most depressing day of the year. And I think it makes sense because Christmas oftentimes brings us great joy, but it doesn't do anything to change the circumstances of our lives. So when Christmas is over, we still have to go back to the job that we may or may not like. We still have that broken relationship that we have to face. We still have the budget that doesn't seem to add up. Christmas brings happiness, but it doesn't last. And that's just when Christmas is good. For others, Christmas doesn't bring happiness at all. It just brings a reminder of the loved one lost or the relationships broken or the fact that you can't afford the gifts that you want to give to your children. Maybe for you this year, Christmas is bringing that overwhelming pressure to produce a perfect Instagrammable Christmas, but your celebrations never measure up. Whether Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year for you or it's the worst time of year, Christmas ends every year for all of us and nothing has really changed. And the reasons nothing has changed is because the problems in our life, the deepest problems in our life, can't be solved with a Peloton or a new iPhone or whatever the popular gifts are each year. The problems in our life, the things that, that stand between us and our happiness and our joy are much deeper than anything a new gift could solve. The good news for us, though, is that Christmas is really about the gift that does solve our greatest problems. Christmas is about a gift given to us that means that you don't have to settle for a couple feelings of happiness for a few weeks each year in December that lights and carols bring. Christmas is a, means that there's a gift given to us that means that true happiness is in fact available because our greatest problems have been solved. Christmas, Isaiah tells us, is about the mighty God given to us. So let's jump into that passage and uh, I'll read Isaiah 9-6 up here and then uh, we'll, that'll be our launching off point and then we'll look at a lot of other scripture this morning. Isaiah 9-6, this is our verse for our series. This is a prophecy uh, given about the coming Messiah to Israel. Isaiah says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So as we're looking at that, that title this morning, Mighty God, this is now uh, at least the second hint from Isaiah's prophecy that this person, this Messiah who's coming to redeem God's people would not just be an ordinary human being. Earlier in uh, Isaiah 7:14, which is another famous Christmas passage, the Messiah who's coming is called Emmanuel which means God with us. Now one of the titles given to the coming Messiah is Mighty God, which is the same title used for God himself just a few verses later in Isaiah 10, 21. And so as the book of Isaiah continues to unfold, the hints keep adding up that this coming Messiah is not just gonna be an ordinary human being. God, God's plan to save his people is not just to send someone special, his plan is to send himself. 
And that's actually the solution that we need. We need a solution to our greatest problems that's outside of ourselves because history has shown us that human beings can't fix the problems of our world. The country we live in is one of the, the wealthiest, most educated, most free places in the history of the world. And it's a great country, but I don't have to tell you it hasn't turned, translated into a perfect utopia of perfect happiness for everyone. That's far from it. Because no human being, no collection of human beings, no country can solve our greatest human problems. If there's any hope for mankind, it has to come from the outside. And that's exactly what we find at Christmas. We find that at Christmas because the hope of Isaiah 9-6 is not that some brilliant leader is going to come and set up the best political kingdom that the world has ever seen. The hope of Christmas is not that a wise moral teacher was born in Bethlehem who's going to show us how to love one another and just get along. The hope of Christmas is that the mighty God himself took on human flesh in order to rescue mankind from our greatest enemies, to solve our biggest problems. So what are those enemies? What are those problems? What are the things we can't solve that keep us from happiness in life? And how does Jesus solve them? That's what we want to do, uh, where we want to go with our time this morning. Problem number one, the first problem that we as human beings have and have no hope of solving on our own is sin. Even if you have the best Christmas you've ever had this year, cookies and gifts can't get rid of sin in our world. Sin is identified as one of mankind's greatest problems all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, just the third chapter of the Bible. God has created this beautiful and good world in chapters 1 and 2. Then we get to uh, chapter 3, and Adam and Eve, the first human beings, have this desire that's contrary to God's desire for them. They act on their desire, and they commit the first sin. And the Bible tells us that this sin infects both human hearts and the created world leading to the beginning of all kinds of suffering and pain. But even if you don't believe the stories of the Bible, it should be obvious to you that sin is one of the greatest problems mankind faces. All you would need to do is pull up your news app, open Twitter, read about the war in Ukraine or the latest mass shooting. Uh, you don't even have to go that far. You could just think about all the people, maybe even this week, who have hurt you um, or taken advantage of you. If we're honest, we don't even have to look to others. We could just look inside of ourselves. We could look in the mirror. We know that we all have selfish and destructive desires in our own heart. Every human being has desires that are not good for us and for others. When we act on those desires, the Bible calls this sin. And Christmas traditions can't do anything about this problem. The brightest lights, the funniest movies don't break addictions. They don't solve anger problems. They don't take back hurtful words and they can't fix broken marriages. Sin wreaks havoc in our lives and in the world. As we've already said, human beings can't fix that problem. Uh, in fact, it's, it's one of the most obvious failures of the Enlightenment and of our postmodern culture that's built on the Enlightenment. Uh, the Enlightenment was this intellectual movement in the 17th and 18th century that set the foundations for the modern and postmodern world. And one of the goals of Enlightenment thinkers was to improve human happiness by getting rid of religion and antiquated superstitious thinking and replacing it with reason and science and tolerance and good government. Now, in one sense, the Enlightenment was trying to solve the sin problem and make the world a better place. And did it work? No, it didn't work. World War I, World War II, Hitler, after the Enlightenment, 9-11, after the Enlightenment, Columbine and every school shooting that followed it, 
happened after the Enlightenment. No intellectual, political, or cultural movement in the history of the world has solved the problem of sin, and none ever will, because human beings can't solve this problem. We need something or someone outside of ourselves to break in and solve the problem, and that's exactly what Isaiah 9-6 promises us is happening. A mighty God is coming. Here's what the New Testament says about this mighty God who we know as Jesus. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, Jesus is here, who takes away the sin of the world. Peter says, Jesus bore our sins on the tree. Paul says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from sin. John the Apostle says, Jesus is the propitiation, which means atonement or appeasement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. One of the clearest messages of the Bible and of Christmas is that Jesus has come to solve human beings' sin problem. He's come to offer us forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with the God who created us. He's come to offer us a fresh start from our past and to change our hearts and our actions in order that we might hurt ourselves and others less and less by our sin. Jesus as the mighty God solves a problem that human beings have never figured out how to solve and will never figure out how to solve because we are the problem. But Jesus comes from the outside and takes away our sin. He solves the sin problem. The second problem that we have as human beings that lights and carols can't solve is Satan. Uh, this one's not very popular to talk about today, but the devil, uh, the Bible clearly portrays the devil or Satan as a, a real person, a real being um, who is a threat to human beings and our happiness. Jesus in the Gospels talks about the devil influencing Peter's thoughts. And then Peter in, in Acts, which is a, ver a chapter we looked at a couple weeks ago, Peter says that the devil is behind the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. In one of his letters, Peter says uh, to the church that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Paul, in the famous chapter in Ephesians where he tells us to uh, put on the armor of, God, uh, armor of God, says we need to arm ourselves against the devil's schemes. The Bible paints a picture for us that the sin in here is not our only problem, that there are also evil spiritual forces at work in the world. And although that's not a popular belief in our world today, I think it's probably just as self-evident as sin is if we really think about it. Because there's just no way naturalistic evolution can account for the amount of evil in our world. A naturalistic worldview doesn't explain why someone would take a gun into a school and start shooting people. I think if we're honest, we'd say that it feels like there's this cosmic battle taking place in our world between good and evil. It feels like there's so much evil in our world that someone or something has to be causing it to happen. And the Bible, unlike modern philosophy, has a really good explanation for that. There is someone causing evil in the world, and it's the devil and his evil spiritual forces. And if human beings can't solve the sin problem, we definitely can't solve this problem either. We can't even see this problem. We usually just pretend it doesn't exist, but Jesus, the mighty God given to us, also solves this problem. Again, the New Testament, here's what it says about Jesus. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. 
Hebrews 2 says, he himself, meaning Jesus, Jesus himself partook of the same things, which means he lived and died just like human beings in order that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Without Jesus, there's, there's two responses that you can have to all the evil in our world. You can, be, you can uh, deny that it exists or you can be fearful of it. You could deny evil, just brush it under the rug, look the other way, hope it never finds you, or you could see all of the evil in our world and be afraid. You could put up cameras and never leave the house. You could protect yourself from every freak accident you hear about on the news. You could worry that you have every single illness imaginable. And we should protect ourselves from evil. Not all those things are bad, but my point is that it's easy to see all the evil in the world and obsess over protecting ourselves and be led to anxiety because it's scary. And without Jesus, being scared of the evil in the world would actually be kind of a reasonable response to the evil because there's so much of it. Satan is real, evil is real, and he wants to destroy us. But at the same time, Jesus came so that we don't have to fear. Jesus came so that we don't have to sweep evil under the rug just to get by. The Bible is so honest about the fact that evil exists, but it also promises that God will put evil in its place. God came to earth as a baby to destroy the devil and his work in the world. Christmas cookies are no match for a malevolent spiritual being who works evil in the world, but a mighty God is. And the message of Christmas is that he's come to destroy the devil. The third and final problem we have and can't solve is probably the most obvious one, and that is death. This one's easy for everyone to acknowledge. Even if you don't acknowledge that we have a sin problem or a Satan problem, no one escapes the problem of death. Even all human beings die. Even if you have the best Christmas you've ever had this year, you can't go on having the best Christmas forever and ever. And this problem also creeps in at Christmas more obviously than any other season because chances are uh, there's someone you wish could be at your Christmas celebration this year who won't be there because they passed away. No human being has any chance at defeating, defeating death. But Jesus, the mighty God, has defeated death. Jesus, like all human beings, died, but unlike us, Jesus didn't stay dead. Again, the New Testament, Peter in Acts 3 says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Paul in Romans said, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Paul is encouraging Timothy in 1 Timothy, and he says, remember that Jesus is the one who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus came to defeat death and bring the hope of eternal life to mankind. Death is probably the most obvious problem that we all face that we can't fix. Christians, non-Christians can all agree on that, and the Bible claims that at Christmas, Jesus comes to solve that problem. Jesus offers eternal life to us, finite human beings who have no chance of escaping death on our own. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And eternal life isn't just life that goes on forever and doesn't end. Maybe for you that sounds like, that, that sounds great, I wanna live forever. Maybe others of you are like, that sounds terrible, I don't want this life to continue forever and ever. But the eternal life that Jesus brings according to the Bible is not just forever life, it's forever life without tears, without mourning, and without pain. It's life in a beautiful city with rivers and trees that don't dry up and die. It's life that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Jesus told the thief on the cross that that life would be paradise. Rico Tice, who's a pastor in London, writes this. He says, Christmas shows us there's a mighty God who gets involved in his creation, who's interested in the details of our lives and who cares about our joys and tears. He cares about this world. That's why he came to it at the first Christmas. This means that we're right to hope for more for better. If this is what God is like, if the Bible's description of him is true, then the reality is we were actually made to enjoy a life without storms, without evil, and without death. And we can have that life. <coughs> Excuse me. At Christmas, uh, I don't have that down yet. How do you do that? How do you clear your throat without later. Um, at Christmas, more than any other season, we are aware of the fact that we were made to live a happy and fulfilled life. And we use the Christmas season to try so hard to get us there. But when it doesn't get us there, when it ends, we've got a couple options available to us. We can, on the one hand, just ignore the sadness and pain and start planning for next Christmas. Or we can be led to despair and hopelessness that things are never going to get better on the other hand. Or we can lean into the fact that we were made for more than celebrating a fun holiday for a few weeks every December. I want you to think about the best Christmas memory that you have for a moment and all of the, the feelings that go along with that memory. Maybe if Christmas is too painful for you, you can just think of another uh, memory that you have and, and all of the good feelings that go along with that memory, the memory that you're nostalgic for. The Bible teaches us that you were made to feel the way you felt in that memory all the time. You were made to feel that way all the time. But sin, Satan, and death stand in our way. And the greatest Christmas gift ever given was that God became man and entered our world in order to defeat sin, Satan, and death. But there's one more puzzle piece that we need in order to get the complete picture. Because when Jesus came at the first Christmas, that was just part one of the two parts in the battle. And this is important because you might be sitting there today thinking, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know the true meaning of Christmas, uh, and yet my life is still full of brokenness. It, it still feels like sin, Satan, and death are having their way in my life. I don't feel happy. And the reason for that is because Jesus' entrance into our world at the first Christmas was just part one on his way to defeating our greatest enemies. As those who live after Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, but before his return, we live in what theologians call the already, not yet, of the kingdom of God. Jesus has already defeated sin, Satan, and death because forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to the Father, freedom from bondage to addictions and performance, and the hope of eternal life after death is available to us right now. But at the same time, Jesus has not yet fully defeated sin, Satan, and death because we still make a mess of things with our sin. Others still sin against us. Evil still exists in the world and all human beings still die. But Jesus has promised to return and to finish the battle 
and to eliminate sin, Satan, and death once and for all, one day. And that's why the season of Advent for Christians has traditionally been both about looking back to Jesus's birth and also looking forward to Jesus's return. Because if we only focus on the baby in the manger and good tidings of great joy and shepherds and wise men and frankincense and myrrh, then we can have a good, joyful, Christ-centered Christmas. We can experience the forgiveness of sins that Jesus gives to us now, and that's great. But if we also turn our gaze toward Jesus's return, then we can begin to appreciate this gift given to us even more fully. Because we'd see that if Jesus is the mighty God, that means that this life right now is the worst it will ever be for Christians, and better days are coming. Because Jesus is the mighty God, it means that Satan's days are numbered and the evil he works in the world will be done away with one day forever. The hope of Christmas is not just that Jesus can help you sin less in your life right now. It's hope that one day you will never sin anymore and no one will ever sin against you. It's not just hope that God is with you in your suffering right now, it's hope that one day evil and suffering will be destroyed forever and you won't even have a memory of your present suffering. It's not just hope that there's life after death, it's hope that there's a new heavens and a new earth coming where death is not even a word that we need in our vocabulary anymore. It's a popular illustration to say that Christmas was like D-Day in World War II. Even though the war in World War II didn't officially end until VE Day over a year later, uh, in effect, the war was over when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day and they began to push back the Germans and break through their lines. The, the war was over at that point. It was, it was finished. The Allied forces were gonna win, but it didn't end officially until VE Day. This is a totally different analogy, but if you watch Bedlam a few weeks ago, the game was over in the first quarter when OU went up 28-0, even though it didn't technically end for another three quarters and a long three hours later. But back to World War II, for the soldiers on the ground, the time, <laughs> rough transition, the time between D-Day and VE Day still felt like war. Soldiers still got injured and killed. The war continued, even though it was over in hindsight, the war still continued. But then VE Day came and it was over like that. And we live between those two. Jesus has come and the outcome of the battle against sin, Satan, and death has been settled. Jesus wins, but the battle still wages on. Sin, Satan, and death are still evident everywhere, but we also know that VE Day is coming and Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he'll finish the battle once and for all. One thing I read this week said, this is our great hope, that the cycle of evil and destruction will be broken and the creation will be set free and healed. This is the promise of the second coming of Christ, that God is victor over sin and death. It tells us that evil is vanquished now in part and will be vanquished forever in the triumph of God. So let's enjoy the lights, let's enjoy the tree, let's enjoy the movies and all the stuff that goes along with Christmas this year. I know I will, but let's also be honest with ourselves that those things aren't what we really want. What we really want is the feeling behind those things. We want happiness. We want brokenness and suffering to go away so that we can live the life that God created us to live. C.S. Lewis says this about nostalgia, which is so strong at Christmas time. Lewis says, apparently then our lifelong nostalgia 
our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. Lewis is talking about that longing we all have at Christmas to be uh, opening, uh, be a kid again, opening presents on Christmas morning or attending a candlelight service for the first time. And elsewhere in his writings, Lewis says that that longing we have isn't really to go back and do that again. It's to have that feeling that we had in those moments. The feeling of absolute joy in the presence of our family without any thought of the pain and suffering that comes from growing up in the world. And nostalgia is that desire to be reunited with that feeling from which we now feel cut off. But as Lewis says, it's not, it's not just a neurotic fancy, it's actually a true index of our situation because we have been cut off. We have been locked out, not from being a kid at Christmas opening presents, but from the life that God created us to have. Sin, Satan, and death stand in our way. They brought brokenness and pain into our lives so that we only get glimpses here and there of the life that God desires for us. We felt it in those moments that we wanna go back to when we're feeling nostalgic at Christmas, but the door always gets shut too quickly. But Christmas means that God is opening the door and inviting us into the life we were created to have. Christmas means that in Lewis's language, God is healing the old aches of our lives. He's doing it in part now, but he'll do it in full when Jesus returns. Christmas means that one day God's people will live in his presence forever without sin, without Satan, without death. And for us as God's people, the way that you felt during that greatest Christmas memory you have is the way that you'll feel forever in the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, I know there are many here this morning who are hurting and I pray that you would help them know this Christmas that you are the mighty God who loves them. Lord, would you break the chains of sin in our lives? Would you protect us from evil? Would you give us hope that there's life after death? Would you do those things here and now? But more than that, Father, would you also increase our hope in the fact that Jesus is coming again. And when he does, sin, Satan, and death will be no more. Come quickly, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you.